Sunday night we picked up in the 19th chapter and um, we talked about the mantle being passed to Elisha and we talked about I, I preached for a few moments about I don't know exactly what it was in the life of Elijah that caused him to know he was coming to an end that he needed a successor you remember that if you were here on Sunday night and I talked about there was something an event that happened in the life of Elijah that caused him to believe that it was time for him to find a successor. And so I believe that I have found, um, I believe that I have found what I was looking for. In, uh, in the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings, you can remain seated because I'm just going to work myself through the chapter. I want to begin in 19 and 1. We have seen Elijah's prayer. We have seen the servant go again seven times. We have seen God open up the heavens. And there truly was an abundance of the sound of rain. And Ahab went and told Jezebel, verse 1, all that Elijah had done. And withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. This was a specific threat. Not only am I going to take your life by the sword, but I will do it by this time tomorrow. I want to help somebody here tonight. Verse number 3. And when he, what's it say? What did he see? When he saw the threat, we can see exactly because of his response. When he saw the threat that Jezebel had given, when he saw the threat, he arose and he ran for his life. I think I might run too. He ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And this tonight, if God will help me, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to somebody. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. And he left his servant there. I believe I found the reason. Why Elijah needed a new servant. He came to Beersheba. And the servant that had been with him. The servant that had walked with him. That had seen the miracle. That had seen the cloud. Stayed in Beersheba. So tonight. I'm going to teach to you. About being stuck. In Beersheba. If you'll help me. There's so many lessons we can learn in this chapter, so many stories, so many powerful, powerful principles. And why I got stuck on this, I'll never know, but my brain's weird. So there's several people in here that we can preach about. We can preach about Ahab. We can preach about Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel is more than just a woman. She carries a spirit. As a matter of fact, if you study uh, Revelation and eschatology in the end time church, 
We know where Jezebel died. We know how she died. We know that she was thrown from the window by two or three eunuchs. We, we know exactly how it happened. But in Revelation, the scripture said that one of the seven churches was still entertaining that same old spirit that the Old Testament prophets had taken care of. So we know that Jezebel is alive and well. Although the carcass of her body was devoured by the dogs, that spirit is alive and well and prevalent in the end time church. But I don't want to talk to you tonight about Jezebel. I don't really want to preach to you or teach to you tonight about Elijah. He's one of my favorites to teach about and preach about. I don't really want to talk to you about Elisha. I don't really want to talk to you about Elisha. Uh, I could. I could talk to you about that double portion. I could talk to you about Gehazi. I could talk to you about uh, how he should have received a double portion of the double portion. We could go into all of it. Matter of fact, one of the greatest sermons that I could preach to you in this time we're in right now would be about the 7,000 that never bowed a knee. I'd like to preach to you about that sometime and talk to you about the 7,000 that never bowed a knee. You know, here's what needs to be known about that, and I'm not going to preach about it, but what you need to know is that God's always had a remnant. And God's always going to have a remnant. But I don't want to preach to you about the 7,000 tonight. I want to preach to you about the guy that we all have perhaps walked right past in the story. I want to talk to you about Elijah's servant that was stuck in Beersheba. Are you all going to help me tonight? How in the world do we approach this guy? Was he a God-fearing man? We don't know anything about the dude. We don't know his name. Uh, we don't know if he's an ex-convict. We don't know if he's an ex-priest. If he's Elijah's cousin. Uh, we don't know if he's a distant relative of King David. We really don't know where he came from. We don't know who he is. We don't know if his father was alive or dead. Um... We don't know anything about his family. We don't know if perhaps this, quote, servant, uh, his family fell into hard times and sold him, maybe, to Elijah. It's always a possibility that he was sold to Elijah and that he was an actual slave or servant to Elijah. It could, I mean, it, it could very well be. Where did he come from? Did he come from Galilee? Did he come from Judea? Uh, was he a heathen? Was he a barbarian? Was he a former heathen? Was he somebody that God picked up, turned around, brought out, and he saw the ministry of Elijah, and he said, that's something I can latch myself to. I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. I want to believe in that. Who was he? Where did he come from? Why doesn't God tell us anything about this servant? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, apparently because it was unimportant. Well, there's something, Pastor, because... You're teaching about it. Well, I want to tell you why it's not important and what it's not important to. It is not important to the case at hand because the case at hand, very simply, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, the case at hand is simply this. Whoever he was, wherever he was from, whoever his family was, he joined himself to the man of God and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. But when the going got tough, he was stuck in Beersheba it doesn't matter who he was it doesn't matter who his father was 
It doesn't matter who his mother was. It doesn't matter what his pedigree was. He came into the world naked, and he went out of the world naked, just as you and I came into this world naked, and we're going to leave naked. We have nothing when we come in this world, and we have nothing when we go out of this world. It doesn't matter if our earthly father is a pastor or a pirate. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what your pedigree is. We're just like that servant. It doesn't matter who we are. And to be quite frank with you, the only thing that gives us an incredible name in this earth is people that applaud us and praise us. So when you die, you don't have a name. Man. So, this is what we need to know tonight about this man. We need to know that he served the prophet of God for a while. And then all of a sudden, he no longer serves him. What was it? Is it perhaps that his time as a slave had been served? Was he finished? Did he sign a contract? What, what, what was it that caused him to stay behind in Beersheba when the prophet of the Lord went on? What was it that caused this to transpire? What was it that caused this to happen? And then, what did he become? After you have walked with Elijah, the prophet of God, through a three-year drought, and you've seen the heavens closed, and you've seen the heavens open, I mean, what can you possibly do in life at that point that's any more exciting than walking with the man of God? You know, there's a lot of things that he could have done. I don't know exactly what kind of things they had going on in that day. Uh, I don't know if he became a, 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 a druggist or a pharmacist bishop. I don't know if he became a brain surgeon. I don't, I don't know what the guy did. I don't know if he was young enough. Maybe when he quit at Beersheba, maybe he stayed in Beersheba so that he could go to college and, and, and become one of the wealthiest doctors of his day. Maybe the man stayed there and he became a lawyer. Maybe he stayed behind and became one of the wealthiest businessmen that we have ever known about. Maybe, maybe he did that. Maybe... He really became very successful in the rest of his life. But I started asking questions in my mind that there's really no answer to. So I had to just kind of work myself through this today and talk to the Lord about this. And I started questioning about what he could have became that was any more important than the job that he was already doing. <laughs> How much money would you have to make? Oh, my, my, my. How much money would you have to make to stand on the front porch and walk away as the prophet of God walks away? You stand on the front porch and walk and watch every miracle that you have seen God do through the life of that prophet. Just walk off into the distance and say, whatever it is that's keeping me here in Beersheba, it's more powerful and more rewarding than the work of God that I've been doing with that man right there. Perhaps he saved lives as a surgeon. Maybe that's what he did. Who knows? But what if he saved a thousand lives and lost his own soul? Isn't that something? Y'all see how crazy your pastor is? Maybe the guy was not sincere from the beginning. Maybe the guy did not serve God. Maybe 
the guy was trying to earn points with God by serving Elijah and I just preached a mouthful. Maybe the guy thought, if I can serve man enough, I'll please God enough. Woo! Maybe I can earn enough points with God by obeying the preacher. That God will let me in. Maybe I can do enough to earn it. Listen, I want to tell you something about this guy, okay? We don't know if this guy was the son of, of Ham, Shem, or Japheth. We have no clue what he looked like if he was short, tall, skinny, the other. We don't know if he was hunchback, stood tall. We don't know if he talked with a lisp or had an eloquent speech. We don't know anything about the way that he sounded. But it really doesn't matter if he was a good singer, a good sinner, if he was a gambler, if he was a card shark. If he was the sharpest there was, Brother Stephen, it doesn't matter if he was a barber or a beggar. What I want to know is what was so valuable that you could let the prophet walk out of your life and just let him walk out. Why are you stuck in Beersheba? So with all the things that I don't know, I had to surmise a few things on my own. For example... That he was at least for a time. We have record that he was a helper and a witness. Somebody shout witness. God have mercy. I hope somebody gets why I'm preaching this tonight. He was a witness to Elijah. He was a witness to the things of God. I want to tell you what I believe. Can I just use a little bit of a hermeneutical privilege here? I believe that if this man was around today... I believe that every tabloid in America would be contacting this guy. This dude had pertinent information about the most powerful man that was walking on the face of the earth at that time. Elijah was the man of God and everybody talked about the man of God. Elijah was a folk hero, so to speak, among the people of God and around that region. Everybody knew who he was. He was a newsmaker. And so when the, when the prophet walks away and this servant stands on the porch in Beersheba, you already know that they'd be calling him saying, Hey, we need some information. We want to talk to you a little bit about this because uh, you, you have some information that could take this man that God's been using and, and, and bring him down. We want to know if the miracles that we've been hearing about are really what this man said they were. Matter of fact, would you talk to us a little bit about Cherith Creek? Could you talk to us a little while about Cherith Creek? Could you talk to it? Is it really, really a fact? Or did he make up the story that there at Cherith Creek that ravens came? Is it true that the prophet of God laid down by the brook Cherith, by the creek, and that the ravens of God that God commanded brought food and dropped it off to that prophet? Is it true that God sustained him? And is it true that when God was finished with him at Cherith, that the brook dried up and that God spoke directly to him and said, get up and go tell us, servant, is it true? Could you talk to us a little bit 
talk to us just a little bit about the woman at Zarephath? Is there anything to this story that we need to know? Because we think perhaps Elijah was a little bit too close with the woman from Zarephath. We think maybe there's something just a little strange about this relationship. Could you tell me a little bit about that? As a matter of fact, while you're at it, I'd like for you to talk to me about this barrel of oil. I'd like for you to tell me a little something about this barrel of oil that this selfish man walked in and commanded this woman to pour out of her barrel everything that belonged to her all that she had left is it really really true that when she gave all that she had that for the rest of her life as long as she needed it that there was always oil in the barrel is that a fact and that servant could have testified to them and told the tabloids, it is not just a story that's been made up. This is not just folklore. It is a fact that there was always meal in the barrel and there was always oil in the crew. Um, we heard a rumor that there was a boy that died. And that the prophet went in and laid on top of that boy. I mean, was there anything we need to know about this story? Is it really true that the dead boy was raised? Is it really, really true? You know, this prophet's servant, he could tell you a little bit of something about what it felt like to be hunted by Ahab's Gestapo. He knew what it felt like. Ahab was ticked off. Jezebel was after him. He knew what it was like for the secret service of the king to be after them. He was a witness. He was an absolute eyewitness to the showdown at Mount Carmel. This servant was an eyewitness to all of these looney tunes that were dancing and cutting themselves and chanting all day. He was a witness to the boldness of the man of God as he stood there and looked at those prophets of Baal, so to speak, and said, where's your God now? You talk about boldness. He stood there and listened to the prophet say to them, well, what is your God on a little afternoon walk maybe? I mean, where, where's your God now? Is he taking a nap? You know, Bishop, at that moment that the servant of the prophet maybe had to get a few chills up and down his arm as he looks on and these men are dancing and cutting and their God is not answering. But all of a the sudden, there is a shift in the atmosphere. When the prophet of the Lord steps forward and says, you boys done yet? Have you done all the playing you're going to do? Have, have, have you guys enjoyed all you're going to enjoy now? If you're finished, step back. And we're going to let God answered by fire the God that answers by fire we're going to let him be God I know that servant had to get a chill on the back of his neck when he heard the man of God say with boldness my God will prove himself to be mighty and he sees the power of sacrifice as now all of a sudden the prophet of the Lord says alright take those twelve stones we're going to rebuild this altar. And he gets down. Starts putting them one by one. He saw the man of God stack one stone after the other. 
12 stones. I talked about this at missions conference. Stacked those 12 stones, one for each tribe. In his heart and his mind, he knew what was going on. And then the scripture said that he took a bullock and he cut it up and he laid it on the wood that he had separated there on the altar. And I, I started thinking to myself, you know, a bullock's kind of big. That's not really a, that's not really a one-man job. It's not, I mean, that's not really something that, that I'd want to do as one guy, just kind of tackle a bull and say, hey, I'm going to show you how to do this, cut him up into pieces and lay it out there on the altar. And so I started wondering in my crazy mind today, I started wondering, I, I, I really do wonder if that servant may have had a little blood on him. Because we know there was servant present. We know there was. Because after the bullock had been slain and put into pieces and laid on the altar, the scripture said that Elijah turned to the servants and said, now go get me some water. Are are y'all picking up what I'm putting down right now? This servant, it's very, very possible that as he picks up the water to bring it back to the prophet... That it's the, the, the water that's, that's, that's running from the, the barrel of, of water in his hand. That blood and water are, are, are running down the arm of that man as he's trying to support it. And the water splashes out. And the blood is washing off of his hands from the sacrifice that's been laid there. Can you imagine being so close to the prophet of God that you've got the blood of the miracle on your hands? Oh, dear God, I want to help somebody understand tonight that you can have blood on your hands and you can be close enough to to smell the bullock and you can be close enough to see the sacrifice and you can be close enough to carry the water. But that doesn't mean that you're committed. Oh God. I'm telling you, I've been carrying this around all day today. You don't know how happy I am to get to talk to you about this. That servant was standing there when there was no dancing and there was no foolishness. But he's weary and he's tired. And now the prophet of the Lord said, I want you to go one more time. I want you to get four more barrels of that water. Whatever you got to do to find it. Don't forget we're in a drought. This is the most valuable commodity of the day. It was something that they couldn't just go get. I don't know where the servant found it. I don't know if it was his own personal stash. I don't know if the prophet leaned over to him and said, Hey, get me everything you've got, everything you've stored away, everything you've kept for us, everything you've kept to sustain us. Go get it and bring it. I just need four more, and we're going to dump it out. And he watched the prophet of God take everything he needed and dump it in the ditch and cover the, uh, the sacrifice with it. And then he just stepped back and he said, Okay, God, it's your turn. We've done all we know to do. We have operated by faith. We have done everything you've asked us to do above and beyond. We have sacrificed and we have given God. We have given of our our finances. We have given of our water, Father. We've emptied everything out that we've got. But God, if you are really on the throne, if you are really in power, I'm asking you right now to let a fire come down from heaven. And that servant was standing back watching the sweat drip off the brow of the prophet of God when all of a sudden he felt the most fervent heat that he's ever felt in his life and a bright flash of light throws him back as he looks up and a fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and licked up the water and everything there was about that altar and all of a sudden it's gone and the servant says whoa and I don't know because it's not recorded I I don't know But maybe right about then, Bishop, maybe right about then there were some questions that started filling his mind. 
Because usually after you're involved in sacrifice, the enemy loves to talk to you. <laughs> My God, I know I'm preaching right now. Maybe there was a voice that started talking to him then and saying, or, I mean, like, okay, God bailed you out on this one. God, God bailed him. But how much longer are you going to connect yourself to that kind of a ministry? How much longer are you going to keep walking like this? I mean, like, seriously. How many times can God really come through like that? How many more times can God answer by fire like that? And so doubt begins to fill his mind, perhaps. I don't know. But I'm starting to think maybe it was because the very next challenge that came is that the prophet of God spoke the words and he said, I hear the sound of an abundance. And that servant's going, dust comes up. Looks down between his toes and they're all covered in dirt and dust. You hear what? Go get Ahab and tell Ahab he better get up. Because I hear the sound. Uh, what's it sound like? Because I'm not hearing anything. All I know is that now I'm in a place where you have used all of my reserves for your ministry. I have no water that's left. Nothing. I saw God consume the sacrifice. But the Bible doesn't say where the sacrifice came from. So you almost have to wonder if maybe... Just maybe. I'm just surmising here. This is not doctrine, okay? What if the bullock belonged to the servant? What if the bullock belonged to the servant? And so now he's at a place in his life where he is more invested than he's ever been. But his name is not in the pages. I provided the sacrifice, I have given, I have worked, and nobody knows who I am. My world was rocked as a kid when I used to lay in bed at night and listen to Mike Bingham preach when sacrifice becomes your downfall. I remember laying in bed at night and everybody, you don't have to keep looking around. The light went out. It's all right. It ain't, it ain't paparazzi taking my picture. I'm not that famous. I remember laying in bed and hearing him preach. And there was a time I couldn't do it now, but there was a time I could have preached that sermon word for word. And I remember a certain segment of it, Brother Castro, where he talked about men giving their boat title, bringing their boat to the house of God and giving their boat an offering and turning their car keys and title over. I, I, man, what a message. Unbelievable. He was going on about all the things that they'd given to God. We have given and we have given and we have given. And then all of a sudden this doubt just began to fill their mind.
after all that we've given, after all that we've sacrificed, and here we are. And I remember him saying, just don't ever forget that any offering you give, you didn't give it unto man. You didn't give that offering to a church. Well, what if the preacher ran off with the money? Then that's between God and that preacher. Somebody asked me about the finances of this church one time. They were like, man, I mean, like, you guys, I mean, is your, your finances okay? And I said, yeah, after 50-something years. Ain't never been a question of money. We never had money problems in this church. Money ain't a big deal. I'm going to tell you all something. There have been churches that money's been abused. Oh, God. There have been preachers that ran off with secretaries. Ran off. I know the pastor of this church used to be with the organ player all the time. <laughs> Just so you know, my dad was a pastor. My mom played the organ, okay? And the pastor before that was with the piano player. I know it for sure. I gave that to the church, and then they gave that to that missionary I don't even like. That's a problem. I gave it to the church. I didn't give it as unto the Lord. And the, and, and the servant's standing back, and he's like, now all these people think that Elijah is some big spiritual hoopla, and, and he's got all these accolades, and, and now all these are, are going to be slain, and, and like, and he starts questioning. What about me? I got blood on my hands. What about me? I carried the water. What about me? What, what point in the story do I get recognized for my sacrifice? Anybody here ever felt like you've been through a season and God makes you wait for just a little bit before he shows his hand mighty? Come on, you can be honest. You're like, whoa. I remember one night. Are there 10 people in here that know what Taco Tico is? Thank you, Jesus. There's still some people that know what. Now it's a nail place. But my dad used to tell the story. Was it $10 you had in your pocket? I think it was a $10 bill you had left in your pocket, and you're going to go to Taco Tico that night. Back then, you could feed your family for 10 bucks, Taco Tico. Anybody here ever had your life blessed with a Cholito? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, them Sancho's were good. But the Lord moved on his heart during service that night. You took the $10 bill you had in your pocket. You money bag, son. Took that $10 bill out and... Gave it any offering. What happened to Taco Tico that night? Bishop, did you get to go eat Taco Tico? What happened? Got a free meal. So you mean God took note of your $10? How'd you get a free meal at Taco Tico? You don't know because he's good looking? I was your wife. Great. So he got a meal on my mother's good looks. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, 
I've lived a life of sacrifice. I've given to God. I have walked away from the altar by faith, believing that God spoke to me to give a certain thing or do a certain thing. I've walked out of this building before. I've walked out of this building before, laying the keys to a car that I had just paid off and I loved on this altar. I've done it. And when I walked out, I said, what, what am I doing? I've been working for years to, to start paying cash for my cars. And I got this car paid off. And I just left the keys at the church. Did y'all hear that rat? <laughs> Licking eyes. It's quiet up in here. And I've walked away and I felt that spirit of fear start speaking to me. So what are you, you going to do now? I mean, what are you, you going to do now? And I'll never forget. I'll, I'll never forget the day that I got a phone call. And this man said, um, I have a pickup truck for you. I said, you do? How much do I owe you for it? And he said, you don't owe me a dime. I want you to have the truck. And I had a pickup truck. And then I drove that pickup truck until the transmission went out of it. And I said, well, what in the world am I going to do? So I took it to the transmission shop and the guy worked on it. And when they brought my truck back to me, they said, you don't owe anything. It's been taken care of. I said, well, ain't that something? Been taken care of. And all of a sudden, I started hearing that, that voice of faith in my ear saying, you just let the enemy convince you that God wasn't going to be faithful and that God wasn't going to be true to his word and that God wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do. Oh. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. You have sacrificed and you have given and you've been faithful, but it just don't seem like God is ever going to answer. But you listen to what I'm telling you right now. If you let the enemy mess with your mind, he'll get you stuck in Beersheba while the ministry walks off and leaves you behind. And there's all kinds of blessings that God could have for your life. I'm hurrying. I'm going to try to get you out of here. I'm going to try to get you out of here early. So can you imagine now? He's saying, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. And so you got a servant that's already questioning what, what, what's, what's going on here. What, 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 what are we going to do now? And so the prophet of the Lord looks at him. He says, here's what I want you to do. Now, stay with me. Because I've been both servant and in this story, servant and prophet. I've, I've been the man that's heard from God and I've been the support system for the man that's hearing from God. I've been both. And I've had times in my life where my pastor would say, this is what I believe God's telling us to do. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so the prophet looks at him and says, here's, here's what I need you to do. I need you to run about nine miles from here. Down the hill. Back up the hill that way. And look out over the ocean and tell me what you see. Uh, this is your problem, preacher. So he 
walks the seven to nine mile trip perhaps talking to himself how much longer am I going to believe like this how, I mean how much longer can I do this I, I can't take the stress of this faith stuff it's, it's going to kill me and he walks all the way up to the top of the mountain and he's looking out there and he's like I guess the preacher's up there praying that's all they do they just pray and count money and eat fried chicken <laughs> and sometimes we play golf too sometimes we play golf and he's walking along thinking I don't know about this vision I'm not sure about this because I didn't hear anything he said he did but I didn't hear anything and he's walking along there and he's texting his buddies I think Elijah is losing it and you can say anything you want to say as long as you follow it with LOL. <laughs> I think pastor has lost his ever loving mind, dot, 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 LOL, all caps. <laughs> so now God knows I'm not being serious. I laughed about it. Oh boy. It just got kind of tight in here just a little bit right there. Because you can question your faith sometimes with humor and laugh it off. I'm going to tell you, God's looking at your heart and he sees the wrestling match that's in your mind. He sees what you're wrestling with. Everybody doing okay? I'm working through this. Y'all are walking through the mind of pastor tonight. It's scary looking, isn't it? So he's walking and he, he gets up to the top and he's saying, God, anything would help me right here. If I could just get up here to the top of this mountain and look out across this ocean and see just like anything. I, like, I don't care. Like, I would get excited if, 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 if like water would just shoot on me from a rock or something. Anything. And he gets to the top, Brother Haney. And he looks. He keeps on looking. He said, oh, I don't know what else to do. So he heads back. He's walking up. And he, uh, um, prophet of God, I did what you asked me to do. I made the journey. I see nothing. And the prophet looks up from between his knees. He's in the Hebrew birthing position praying. Kind of looks up and he's got his eyes squinted. And I wasn't there, but this is the picture that I get when I walk in the story. I see this prophet of God Hunkered down on the ground, praying with his head between his knees, and he just looks up like, what's wrong with you, man? And he says to him, whether intentionally prophetic with the number seven or whatever it is, he just says, go again. Seven times. And he's teaching him a lesson. Son, just keep going. If God spoke it, he's going to do it. If God said it, he's going to do it. But the enemy loves, and let me preach to you right here. The enemy loves to catch you in between the promise and the fulfillment. 
He loves to get you in that season in the middle where you're walking and have no purpose and you haven't seen anything that the man of God's been hearing and it's costing you more than you ever dreamed and all you want is a cold drink of water but you gave all your water on the altars of Baal. So while you're walking, you're thinking, I'd like to have a drink of water, but I don't have a drink of water because I gave my water. I wish I could have water, but I gave my water. And this guy just wants you to keep walking, and it's hot. And so you finally see this little place down there. You're like, I bet you there's a creek down there. And you go down to the creek, and you're like, no, it's dry too because it's been dry for three and a half years. But what you don't understand is that you are pregnant with promise. And the word of God that's hanging over you right now is that I'm about to make every dry place full. And while you're waiting with expectation and anticipation, you're dealing with your flesh. And your flesh is saying, I don't know how this is possible. I don't know how I can do this. And with every trip that you come back to the prophet of God, you say, I haven't heard. I haven't seen what you've been hearing. He said, go again, son. Go again. Go again. Please just go again. Listen, God's talking to me. God hadn't changed his mind. I want to tell you, there is something powerful about a man of God that when they set their sail and they've heard from God they're not going to change their mind just because you got discouraged and on the seventh trip his faith although he kind of gets like that little bit of excitement for a second his faith is rocked because the man of God said I hear abundance and he's saying that don't look like abundance. Woo! It's like as man's hand. And if you're not careful, you miss the message that God's trying to give you. You're looking at it thinking, that's not as big as I thought it was going to be. But God's trying to show you my hand has been in this. My hand's on you, son. My hand's in this. I haven't left you. This is more than a storm. This is the hand of God. This is not just rain that's coming. It's the hand of God that's about to bless you. You need to know, servant. You need to know that my blessings are on the way. The, 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 the storm, it's coming. Look, look, look a little closer. Just look a little closer. It's not just a cloud. My hand is on you. My hand's on you. And your confusion, my, 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 my hand is on you. And your confusion, you may feel like this don't look like what, 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 what you've been told that it's going to be. He said, well, then we better get up and go tell Ahab. Because this thing's getting, hap- getting ready to happen. The Bible said that the sky grew black. You can go back and read the story. The sky grew dark. Another miracle happens. Maybe he was there at the outrunning of the chariot. Who knows? And so now... Ahab goes back and tells the old prophetess of Satan everything that has happened. And the word comes forth by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And now, the servant that has heard and seen the wonders of God is standing next to the prophet of God. When the threat comes, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And so the prophet and the servant make their way to Beersheba. 
And the Bible said that he left his servant there. Now, if you read the story in passing in just a hurry, I've heard it said and I've heard it taught that people, people talk about the fact they said, and so Elijah came to this place and he told his servant to stay there. Your Bible don't say that. The Bible does not say that he told his servant to stay there. Even if it would have, it would not have been out of the character of Elijah to test the servant of God for did he not tell Elisha. You stay right here. And Elisha said, as God liveth. Am I preaching to you about the character of a man? Even if Elijah would have said, hey, you stay right here at Beersheba. Maybe Elijah had picked up on the weariness of the servant. And he wanted to know, do you really want this? Or do you want to stay behind? And he spoke to him and he said... Why don't you stay here? I'm going to test your spirit. You don't know what I'm doing. And he starts to walk away. And he looks over his shoulder one last time. And he said, well, I guess he's had enough. Because the enemy has spoken a word that finally produced enough fear in the heart of this servant. That I've seen enough of the blessings of God. I've seen enough of the miracle working power of God. I've seen enough of this apostolic impartation. And so now I just want to stay right here in Beersheba and retire and resign and relax and live on my pension from Beersheba's government. I just want to chill back right here and enjoy the rest of my life. And the scripture said that Elijah walked straight from there and found a young man that was a servant. And we immediately find out his name is Elisha. And Elisha was the double portion generation. My question to you tonight that I've wondered all day today in my spirit as I was studying is that unnamed servant supposed to be the double portion man? I said Sunday night, I said at some point for some reason, Elijah feels like he needs another servant. He needs a prodigy. He needs a successor. And I found it this week. I found it in the scripture. And in Beersheba, there he left his servant. And it dawned on me. That man had come so far with the prophet of God. It's, it's possible. I don't know. But wouldn't it have been amazing if because of his faithfulness to God... He would have been the one that picked that mantle up off of the ground, smote the waters of the Jordan River, and walked right back across and lived in a double portion blessing. Can you imagine? Let me just preach to you right here for a minute. Can you imagine walking so far with the man of God and with the kingdom of God only to sell yourself short and get stuck in Beersheba when it's always a possibility you could have been in the double portion generation, but you stopped believing just before it came. You could have wore the mantle. But now you just wear a white flag of surrender around your shoulders. God have mercy. I wonder if one morning the servant picked up the newspaper. I just wonder. If he picked up the newspaper. And one of those old prophets standing up there on the hill. One of the false prophets standing up there on the hill had taken a picture of Elisha standing at the ground looking at this whirlwind. And this mantle has fallen to the ground. And the servant, the unnamed servant, looks at the picture and says, 
that could have been me. I've come to preach to somebody tonight under the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if that man would have received Elijah's anointing or not. I don't know if he would have received a double portion or not. All I know is, is right after he quit believing, God anointed Elisha. That's all I know. Right after he stayed in Beersheba, we don't ever hear anything else about him again because we don't know his name. But this is what I do know. I've seen it in my life time after time after time that somebody gets weary in the middle of a battle. You've seen God work time after time. God has proven his power. He has proven his authority. He has proven his miracle working power. And you get discouraged and you get disgruntled. And I'm not speaking to you as an individual right now. I'm talking to the spirit of humanity that it's easy for us to get frustrated when we're giving all we can give and we're fighting all we can fight and we sell ourselves just short of what God wanted for us to do because we're discouraged. I'm quickly coming to a close. I've shared this story many, many years ago. This story amazed me I, and, and, and it's been so long since it was, it was told to me. I don't remember the church it happened in. I don't remember the names of the people that were involved. But I've never forgot the story. I know it was, in, uh, it was in the state of Georgia is where I heard the story. And this woman, been very faithful to God, came to church a lot of years apparently by herself. Her husband was not saved or what, whatever. She got upset about something and service was getting ready to start. And the, the best that I remember, it was a midweek service. And the music was just getting ready to start in, in this little small sanctuary. The pastor stepped up to the pulpit. I can't imagine people coming to pastor the pulpit, but it happened apparently. And she walked right up to the pulpit and she said, I'm upset and I'll never be back. And the pastor just kind of moved the microphone to the side and he leaned down. And he said, sister, please don't do this. He said, let's talk after church. She said, no, you heard me. I will never walk back through the doors of this church again. He said, please don't say that. She said, I will never be back. And she turned to walk down the middle aisle and went out the back door. The next time they brought that woman to the house of God. If I remember the story correctly, it was five days later. That they wheeled her casket down the middle aisle of the church that she said, I'll never step foot back in this church. And, and it rocked me as a kid when I heard the story. I, she's just like that servant. I don't know her name. I don't, I don't know what town the church was in. I don't know the pastor. But I know the people. That the enemy messes with your mind. Can you imagine, Brother Joe Green, standing before the Lord and knowing you missed it by five days? I lived for God by myself for 30 years, 40 years, 15 years. And then I let that voice get in my head, lock me up in Beersheba. Walk down the aisle and tell the man of God, I'll, I'll never be back. Five days short of the reward. I don't know how many days it was from the time that Elijah left Beersheba until he walked by and threw that mantle on that boy that was plowing the field. And now I can't see him any other way except for Eli. 
But I have to wonder if when he cast that mantle, if just before he did, Brother Stephen, he said, what a shame that it wasn't Stephen. What a shame that it wasn't Luke. What a shame that it wasn't Ryan. What a shame. Whatever his name was, what a shame. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. This is a conclusion I came to a long time ago. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, okay? God doesn't need me. He don't need me. He wants me. He don't need me. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does, Pastor. You, he needs you because when Jonah didn't repent, you really believe God needed Jonah to go to Nineveh? God had a way to make Jonah wish he had gone to Nineveh. He's the creator of all things. God don't need me in Anderson, Indiana. But he wants me. And so I'm going to tell you this tonight. I'm serving notice to those winds that come blowing in our ears. And saying, hey, just give up. Just quit. Hey, just be discouraged. You've tried. You had not got the breakthrough you wanted to get. Just quit. Just throw in the towel and stop. I just want to tell you. You may be a few days from a mantle. God. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what's going through the mind of this servant? I'd like to ask him one question, Bishop. Is whatever Beersheba gave you worth what you lost? Let's stand together. What's your Beersheba tonight? What's the thing in your life that would cause you to miss out on the anointing that God has for you, on the blessing, the favor? What does Beersheba look like in your world tonight? Let's bow our heads all across this room. God, I believe you've dealt with my heart deeply today. I, 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 I just can't imagine... This word just coming out of, of the clear blue because there's really nobody dealing with it. I believe, God, you sent somebody here tonight that is struggling with their faith. The very foundational principles of who they are. Now, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom, the understanding to know that there will always be a Beersheba. There's always going to be a stopping place where intimidation would speak to us and tell us it's easier to stay here than it is to go on. God, we've all read the story and we know as well as anybody knows that Jezebel wasn't going to touch the prophet and she wouldn't have touched his servant. But that voice of intimidation that is screaming in this generation is absolutely stifling the faith of apostolic children of God. Lord, I've seen men's hearts fail, fail them for fear. I've seen people close their doors and walk away. I've seen pastors resign. I've seen saints walk out. Lord, we've come too close to the end to give up. I'm asking you tonight to instill courage in the hearts of every man, woman, child. Lord, you've given us the measure of faith. You've given us the measure of faith. We have the faith. 
Faith is not the problem. We've got to have the want to. We've got to have the desire, God, to keep pressing. And Lord, I'm serving notice tonight. If nobody else in this room goes with me tonight, I am serving notice tonight, Father, that I'm going to walk with you until the very end. God, if every person in my family walks away, if every person in this church walks away, if every person in my life walks away, I've got to walk with you until the end. I can't stay in Beersheba because somebody wants to keep me there. I can't stay in Beersheba because there's a nicer home there. I can't stay in Beersheba because there's a better job there. I've got to come out and finish the course. I plead the blood of Jesus over this house tonight. I pray, God, for faith over fear. Lord, I've prayed and I've sought after you for months and months and months to shut the mouth of the lion. But God, he continues to roar. And so I'm crying out to you on behalf of your people tonight that if the lion hasn't shut his mouth yet, at least help us to guard our ears against that Jezebel spirit that would keep us locked up in Beersheba when you've got a calling on our life. I pray in the name of Jesus that until that voice is silenced, Father, and it may not be until the accuser of the brethren has been silenced for good, but until that voice is silenced, that we would press on with the prophet. We'd press on with the anointing. For your word does not declare to us, enter in, thou good and faithful prophet. It says to enter in, thou good and faithful servant. May servanthood rest on us tonight and the power of God rest upon us. Grace and peace unto your children in the name of Jesus. Let the church say amen, amen. and amen.